0: Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom and welcome. I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. I'd like to welcome you to this week's program. We're continuing in a series called The Dew of Heaven. But before I get started, I just want to mention again, BibleInteract.tv is our website. Now, we're a consortium of scholars. We all work together. And basically, we're dedicated to helping students unlock the Hebraic backdrop of the Scriptures, specifically the Gospels and the Epistles. And to that end, we have an education section of the website where we offer courses for various degree plans, etc. So make sure you check it out, especially if you'd like more information on our courses. And you can always sign up with the newsletter and stay abreast of any of the latest work of all our Bible Interact scholars. As well, I have my own website called Foundations in Torah, and you can go there and, uh, uncover all kinds of goodies. So let's continue on from where we were last week. Uh, we, we closed out the narrative dealing with Elijah and the widow from Zarfot. We said that Elijah represented the Holy Spirit. The widow of Zarfot was kind of a picture of Israel. And of course, Elijah was sent to the widow and, And one of the basic tenets that I continue to hammer home is the fact that you cannot have a resurrection without an atonement. And so contained in that story, we do find a measure of the atonement. And that is sort of tucked away inside this whole idea of her taking the flour jar and and taking a handful or a fistful of flour. And that was very much connected to a special service that they had in the temple time. And that particular fistful or handful of flour was called the comets, And that was really in the picture we have there, a a picture of atonement, I should say. And it was that uh, for a a poor person to bring a flower offering, it was as if they had slaughtered an animal. So that's that uh, that picture and that story. Now today I'd like to move on into Exodus chapter 16. I did read a passage last time, but I'd like to continue on from there. This is sort of a fascinating uh, study, if you will, on the whole concept of the dew. We pick up pretty easily that we have the manna mentioned, but less so, people don't really see the concept of the dew in there. And these are two very different items. But let me first reread uh, a passage that I have here from Psalm 68, 8 and 9, because then I'm going to read a commentary on that particular passage. And it says, God, when you went out at the head of your people, when you marched out through the wilderness, the earth quaked and rain poured from the sky at the presence of God. Even Sinai or Sinai shook at the presence of God. You rained down showers in plenty, God. When your heritage was weary, you restored it. So Psalm 69 is taking us to the wilderness, to the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai. Certainly we know that the presence of God was there. And so this particular verse uh, in ancient sources has a little commentary associated with it. So let me read the commentary, because that that will tie us to what we're going to talk about today. So it says, When God appeared amidst the trembling of the earth on Sinai, life fled from the people of Israel and from all the living people in the land of Israel. And the angel said, Do you desire to give your law to the dead or to the living? Then God dropped the dew of the resurrection upon all, and they revived. So here we see in this commentary on Psalm 68, this idea of the dew of the resurrection, and that dew being poured out upon them, and that they revived. Because the law was not to go forth to the dead, but to the living. And so that life-giving force, the dew, really for us is really a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we back up from Exodus 16, go into uh, chapter 15 here for a minute, you'll read the story of the Song of the Sea, which is this great uh, epic uh, song that Moshe wrote dealing with the victory that the children of Israel had as they went through the sea and that their enemy Pharaoh and his minions were completely destroyed. And of course, this is quite a a familiar song and in fact, it's part of the morning readings. If if you were to go through the Siddur, the, the weekday service in the morning, you would find that this particular song is read every morning. And so what a great mo- reminder to us of the great victories that God has wrought for us. And so it was, as they go through the sea, they arrived at a place called Marah, which means bitter. And they, of course, complained against Moshe. And why did you bring us out here? Life was great back in Egypt. And you'll recall that he took and threw a piece of wood into the water to make that water that was there, that was once bitter, to make it taste good. And from there they camped at a place called Elim, and it had 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and certainly there's a lot of wonderful imagery in here, but we're not going to go into that today. Uh, palm trees, in in Hebrew thinking, represented the righteous. In fact, the word there for palm, tamar, means, uh, is referring to a righteous one. They traveled on from Elim and arrived in the Sinai Desert, and it was that they arrived there, the whole community, on the fifteenth day of the second month after leaving Egypt. So that should set up some red flags. For you, these dates that are inserted in here are very important because they give us the time frame. And typically, wherever there's a date, it's going to be associated with some kind, specifically if it's associated with a festival, it's going to point us to some kind of theme that goes along with the festival. So it's very important to recognize these dates as we go through it. So for those of you who are familiar with this, this is the the time of what we call the second Passover. And so the 15th day of the second month would actually be kind of the, the second Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the uh, Hag HaMatzah. So it was that those who could not participate in the first Passover, now that would have taken place at, on the 14th of the first month, and then the 15th would have been Hag HaMatzah. If they couldn't participate in the fir- at the first time because of uncleanness, corpse uncleanness in particular— or if they were on a trip, they had an opportunity to make their Passover offering, their their Pesach offering, in the second month, certainly starting on the 14th day. This was called the Pesach Sheni. Now, at the same time, we're in the period of the counting of the Omer, and I just want to draw your attention to that. So the counting of the Omer has begun in the season of Passover in the first month, and so we're well along 30 days into the counting of the Omer, leading us up to the 40 day, 49 days, and then the 50th day would be at Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And so, again, if you were in a lower level of sanctity because of a corpse during the first Pesach, then you had an opportunity now to present your, your Passover offering. Of course, they were grumbling against Moses and complaining that they were going to starve to death. Now, let me just mention an interesting quote here that uh, is from Leviticus Rabbah, because again, this whole period of time, the counting of the Omer, and we're at the second, the Pesach Shenei, is moving us towards Shavuot, is moving us towards the time when they are standing at the foot of the mountain and when they receive the Torah. So I did mention in our first uh, our first time together, we talked about the various quotes from the sages and in the liturgy, and that there was uh, special prayers at the time of Pesach for the dew. But let me just read this, because I, I found this kind of interesting, that between Pesach and Shavuot, a prayer is offered that God may preserve the people from the hurtful dues. So not only do we have the good due, but now we have the hurtful dues. The two loaves of bread offered on Shavuot are waved to and fro in symbolic petition to the ruler of heaven and earth and of the four winds to keep off the unpropitious winds and the hurtful dew. So, if the dew is a picture of the Holy Spirit and the power, that life-giving force, what might be the hurtful dew? And we'll be getting into this in more detail in the coming weeks, but... Uh, to my mind, it's associated with the resurrection of the wicked dead. That would be the hurtful do. So you can see that in Revelation when it talks about uh, Revelation twenty-five, when it twenty verse five, when it talks about the second death. So blessed and holy is anyone who has a part in the first resurrection. Over him the second death has no power. So that to me is a picture of the hurtful do. So we have the good do and the hurtful do, but really the author of this then the Holy Spirit, the life-giving force that brings about the resurrection of the dead. So here we are back in Exodus 6. So Adonai says to Moshe, I will rain down for you food from heaven. Let the people go out and and gather the portion of each day on its day, so I can test them, whether they are following my Torah or not. Now let me just uh, put your attention to this word here for portion, because it's not the same word that we're going to look at in just a few minutes. So this word for portion is devar, you might recognize that as word, it can mean a portion or a thing, etc. And it says, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring, that it will be double, that word for double there is Mishneh, you might recognize the mishnah, which means the second or the double, over what they gather every day. And the term there, every day, is actually also a double. It it says in the Hebrew, Yom, Yom. It's kind of interesting. And it will turn out to be twice as much as they gather on the other day. So we have this special provision that on the sixth day they were to gather a double amount of their portion so that they would have something to eat on Shabbat they wouldn't have to go out and gather on Shabbat they would already have food for Shabbat but that that food was gathered on the sixth day and we'll we'll see here in just a moment in several places that that extra food that they gathered, the double portion that they gathered is often called in the some of the Hebrew uh, rabbinic literature it's called the leftovers so let me just plant that with you So now let's go back a moment let's talk about this sort of spiritual food that they are eating in this spiritual environment in the wilderness. And in Hebrew, we say manna, but uh, in, in Hebrew, it's man, which means what is it? And so if we take that word and we kind of break it apart, it forms two letters for us, a mem and a nun, one having the value of 40, the other having the value of 50. And uh, I don't have time to go into that today, but let me just draw your attention to the number 90, is perhaps associated with Sarah. You'll remember how old was she when she brought forth Isaac. So the mem, generally we associate with water, can also be a liquid. Uh, oftentimes it can mean blood. And the nun, generally meaning a, a seed, to a continuing seed. So we, we can see that life comes through this continuing seed of blood, if you will. And certainly that points us to the Messiah, and certainly we know that the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, is certainly the manna that comes down from heaven. Interesting, this word nun, uh, the, the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, We know one of the names for Messiah is Messiah ben Nun, and in this case the Nun is translated fish, and of course fish again are very prolific, they produce a lot, and so this idea of the continuing seed is associated with the fish in that regard. Uh, nun can mean to resprout or to propagate sh- uh, shoots to be perpetual to be continued so again this idea of something ongoing continual perpetual related to the to the letter nun so Messiah ben Nun also Messiahs one of his names is Messiah ben David now Nun again is the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it is in fact the case that David David His name, if we took it apart and assigned each letter a value, his name would add up to 14. So Nun, Messiah, Ben Nun, Messiah, Ben Ephraim. Now you'll recall also in scripture we have another one, Yehoshua, or Joshua, Ben Nun. So, uh, of course, Joshua is a wonderful picture in type his entire ministry, then of what Yeshua the Messiah accomplished. So, Nun actually has an association in it with kingship, as we see through David. Now, of course, they'd been complaining in the wilderness that they didn't have anything to eat. So Adonai, God, uh, offers that he's going to give them meat to eat in the evening, and then you will have your fill of bread tomorrow morning. Now the tomorrow morning is going to be Shabbat. So I, we're going to talk about this for just a second. So they would eat meat in the evening and be filled in the morning. So what was the meat that came along in the evening? Well, that was the quail. And remember they had more than they ever could have wanted to have of quail, but then in the morning, we find with the manna, it is a layer of dew. So we actually have a layer of dew over the manna, and then the manna, and then underneath the manna on the ground, we have another layer of dew. And it's not so obvious um, from here, but in Numbers eleven nine it, you can see that a little clear. But let me just back up for a second, talk about the seventh day. Of course, they gathered on the sixth day to have a double portion, to have their, quote, leftovers. For the seventh day, the day of rest, the Shabbat. One of the quotes from the rabbis is that he who prepares on the eve of Shabbat will have food on the Shabbat. And of course, the this preparing for the Shabbat, the messianic kingdom, the 1,000 years, whatever you would like to call it, the time of the fullness of the kingdom. The food, the, the food we eat for the kingdom is what we would call the manna. That's the food we eat on Shabbat, the double portion. And here in this portion, we're seeing that the food that we eat now or the evening before the Shabbat is the meat. So it is that we eat manna for the kingdom, manna for the messianic age, and quail or meat for the present age in which we, look, we live in. So Yeshua talks about the manna, of course, coming from heaven, down from heaven in John chapter 6. And that eating this bread will cause those that are his to be raised up on the last day. So we do have a connection here between the manna and the resurrection of the dead. And certainly the Shabbat is a picture of the resurrection of the dead, which is the time of, of course, the inauguration of the Messianic kingdom. It says, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness or in the desert, as it says in the Tanakh. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Yeshua said, I tell you, it wasn't Moshe who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father is giving you the genuine bread from heaven, for God's bread is the one who comes down out of the heaven and gives life to the world. So there's no question here that Yeshua, the Messiah, is the picture of the manna who came down from heaven. Again, the dew is something very different. And we have both mentioned here in Exodus 16. Now let me just talk for a moment about the concept of the two ages. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here, but this, this contrast between the, the present age that we live in, the world, this physical world that we live in, and that the food for this physical world is meat, which you could translate basar, which also means the gospel or the good news. The food for the world to come, or the bread that is given in the morning, is associated with the spiritual food of the messianic kingdom, the time of the fullness of the kingdom. We would call the world to come in Hebrew is called the Alam haba. The present age that we live in is called the olam hazeh. So it is that meat, basar if you will, is food for the physical body, where the bread is food for the spiritual body. So that's kind of a picture we have, and of course they're in, they're in the wilderness in a supernatural environment that uh, points us to the Alam Haba, but still they're in physical bodies in this physical age, having to eat physical food. So the, the sort of spiritual dimension of this is that their time in the wilderness is actually a picture of the Messianic Kingdom overlapping the physical world, which is kind of what we see in the book of Revelation. So the two ages are essentially overlapping. So they're being fed meat for the evening and bread for the morning. Now we see that the manna is only found in the morning and the manna would lay on a bed of dew and then it would be covered by dew. So I describe it as kind of a manna sandwich that we have dew on either side and manna in the middle. And it was that the dew covered the ground. Now, the, the word there to describe dew was also the word frost. And that word for frost is actually kapur, which in Hebrew means a covering. So you might hear in that Yom Kippur, or Yom HaKippurim, which is the correct designation for uh, for the Day of Atonement. But that kapur means to cover. Now, remember I said there cannot be a resurrection without some kind of atonement. And we're going to see the atonement here in just a minute. And so the the man, which they describe like coriander seed, uh, it says, when the dew settled on the camp during the night, the man came with it. And so, but the man, the manna was not revealed at night. It was actually revealed in the morning when the sun would melt the upper layer of dew. That's when it would expose the manna. So the dew it was that revealed the manna. And uh, my contention is that, again, the the dew being a picture of the uh, the life-giving force of the resurrection, uh, that is, coming in as the Holy Spirit. And so we see this sort of raising up of the dew off of the manna, a picture of Yeshua coming at the time of Passover in his first resurrection. So again, the dew was melted, it exposed that thin layer of frost, which is Kapur, and this happened in the morning. We, found, we find that this is sort of the, the beginning of the hint of the, of the work of atonement with Messiah, his shed blood, acting as a covering for us from the wrath of God. So that sun melting is kind of a picture of the wrath of God, but we have a covering, don't we? And again, we have a concept of the resurrection of the dead. Again, the rabbis associated the dew from heaven as the resurrection, and it's not possible without an atonement. So, they identify the, uh, we identify the gathering of the leftovers with the, with the kingdom to come, with the Olam haba, with the world to come. And I mentioned that when we started this, that on the sixth day, of course, they collected a double portion. And this portion, this word now, as we move down into the, the verses in the middle of, of uh, Exodus 16, the word for the portion is now Omer. Of course, we're in the season of the counting of the omer. And so they could only gather one omer, if you will, per person. And so every day the portion was the same, and everyone's portion was the same. And so I I would say that that's kind of how we receive atonement. That the atonement, Yeshua's blood atonement, was the same for everyone. No one got more than another There was just one sort of portion, if you will, of atonement. How we received it was the same. It didn't make one person any better. No one got more than the other. It was the same for everyone. And so that is the the nature of the atonement that he brought. It is We all enter in the exact same way. There's no sort of special status for some of us who, uh, or others of us, if you will. And it was that uh, Yeshua's atonement was enough for this present age until we reach the time of Shabbat or the messianic kingdom. Now, as we move on, it also talks about how much it was a portion per person. So that portion was the Omer, and the per person is another interesting word called Gulgolet in Hebrew. Now, that might sound remarkably like Golgotha or Golgotha, and so, Gulgolet, it's talking about the head. That's what it means. It means a skull. So, of course, Golgotha is the place of the skull. And that is the translation of the word we have inserted here in the Hebrew for the per person. So, the portion, the Omer, the per person is Gulgolet, which means the skull or the head. And interesting in the rabbinic literature, now this is from the Zohar, so it's, you know, sounds a bit. Uh, esoteric, if you will. But it says in the Gulgalta, which is our same word, sit 13,000 myriads of worlds. And from the Gulgalta, dew drips upon him who is outside and fills his head every day. Now, I know that sounds a bit odd, but I just want to draw your attention to the term the Gulgalta, because it's the same term, and the idea of the dew dripping and filling his head. Because the head, which is the skull, is the same word for Golgotha, and it means round. And you'll recall that we read this uh, a couple of weeks ago in um, with uh, Psalm 133 Behold, how good and a pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And it was like the oil dripping down from Aaron's head, like the dew of Hermon, and we mentioned uh, the dew of Mount Hermon, many believe that the Mount Hermon is actually the mountain of the resur- of the uh, transfiguration, a picture of the resurrection of the dead, sort of coming the picture again of it coming down from Aaron's head. This is from a song, Songs 5-2, a commentary, My head is filled with dew, and from that dew which he shakes from his head, the dead will awaken in the world to come. So again, this might well be an indication uh, that Golgotha, the place of the skull, is the place of the atonement, and ultimately, of course, Yeshua, after his atonement, will be resurrected from the dead. So it's just kind of an interesting introduction here to this particular chapter, Exodus 16, and all this allusion allusion here to the resurrection of the dead and the dew, and we'll talk more about it uh, next time. And we'll pick it up from here. I Again, would like to encourage you to go to my website, Foundations in Torah, and you can become a member. I have various membership levels depending on how much information you want. And you can join for free, certainly. And I send out an article each week on the Torah portion where I pick out some little gem in the Torah portion and I, I will write quite a bit on it to give a, an excellent explanation of it. So we will see you next time. Shalom. Thank you for joining me.